welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef and I'm bringing you more previous episodes which I really believe have got a lot of weight and that we need to listen to again. So today we're actually talking about ADHD spending habits and money mindset and creating better financial well-being. Now, I've never met one person with ADHD who doesn't struggle in, in some capacity with regards to money. Um, numbers, finances, um, dyscalculia, possibly. And I really want to be able to address this topic with a level of curiosity, interest, with no judgment at all, because it doesn't have any weight in us as, as a person if we do struggle with our financial well-being. So the two guests I'm bringing back for this week's episode is ADHD accountant and money coach Tina Maytham. She's based in Australia and she's created a fantastic community of really being able to help people understand their money mindset, their money beliefs and stories and help them become more confident with their money, with their finances through the neurodivergent lens. And then we also have Maddie Alexander, who is a financial educator and influencer. You will see her all over TikTok and she also has ADHD. And she is the founder of the Mad About Money app. And she discusses money shame, her debt story, which is really powerful, and ADHD impulsive spending. So I really do hope that today's episode is a resource for you. If you are going through something that you're struggling with, that maybe you do feel shame and embarrassed about, um, you're not quite sure where to go, where to begin. Both Maddie and Tina have their own resources on their websites. All the information is on the show notes please go and check it out because none of us should be doing this alone. And now we have this understanding of our neurodivergent brain, of um, the patterns and behaviors, um, perhaps, you know, obviously connected to our ADHD. We're able to remove the blame from ourselves that we're not bad people, that we're not stupid, that we don't know how to handle money. We just have to understand it in a different way. So I really do hope that today's episode is is very helpful. And um, for more resources, and learning more about all the different podcast episodes, I've got all the information on my website. It's adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. Information's on the show notes. Please do check, see what resources are available. I'm really trying to create a hub, a library for you. So if there is something you are struggling with, you can head to my website and you can find a workshop or content or the podcast episode all about it. So here's today's episode. I really do hope it's helpful. Let's hear first from Tina Maythams. So I help a lot of people overcome their spending habits. With ADHD, we have, as you might know, a lot of issues around spending, whether that's impulsive spending or overspending, just really unhelpful spending habits that wreak havoc on our budgeting and money and financial well-being. So I help a lot of people with that, but also just general money management as well. 
there's a lot of advice out there that's just made for really typical brains. Like it's, you know, made for people who find money and finance quite easy and budgeting quite easy. But for ADHDers, it can be more difficult. Some of us have dyslexia when it comes to numbers. So it can be, it can be quite challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. It's so self-empowering, isn't it? To be able to override these old beliefs and start reframing them and working with new sets of beliefs, new ways of thinking. Is that how you help your clients? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as you sort of described, there there are a lot of people who do struggle with this, but, you know, it's just reframing that I like to say that you don't need to be an expert in all of this. It's just reframing to tell yourself and to tell your brain that you just need basic skills, which anybody can learn, just really basic skills. And you're right, it's overcoming those old belief systems that you tell yourself that, oh, well, I'm just not good with money just because you may not be perfect at it or you may not be an expert. And it's sort of, it's almost like our brain skips the point where just having basic skills is completely fine. It's like, well, and that's a very ADHD trait. It's like, you know, if I'm not perfect at something, well, then I shouldn't do it. I'm just not even going to try. Um, so it's, it absolutely is overcoming a lot of mindset around thinking that you can't learn new skills or you can't do anything around maths and numbers because that's all it is. It's just it's just learning basic skills. You don't need to use spreadsheets if you don't want to. There's apps these days that are so automatic and all you need to do is just download some data into the app and follow a few steps and voila, you've got all this information around your personal finances right there in an app at your fingertips. What you said then is the basic skills when you said that and I was thinking, well, I'm not stupid. I'm very capable. I can do loads of things. But for whatever reason, this brick wall for me is numbers. Mm. And even when I have to start invoicing and, and doing things like that, I suddenly kind of like infantilize myself a little bit. My default is to say to my husband, can you just help me with this? I just need you to check this because I think I second guess myself. How do you get someone from that place to feeling comfortable with money and feeling, you know, like their financial well-being is is intact? You know, when I work with clients who let's let's take entrepreneurs, for example. So if I have an entrepreneur client that does need some money skills and money management, I like to take them on a journey of, you know, just little steps, little skills that they can implement over time. So we're not going from A to B or A to Z, if you like, in, you know, a month or something. It's it's going to be what skills do they particularly need to be able to handle, let's say, their business finances or their business money. Let's have a look at those skills and we're just going to work on, you know, little things that you can do to feel more empowered. So the first thing might be you're just going to look through your bank account. I like to call it an expense audit. A lot of even entrepreneurs don't know what's coming out of their bank account and that can be, you know, personal finances as well. But just something as simple, for the lack of a better term, something as simple as knowing what's coming in and out of your bank account can actually be very, very empowering because often we forget what expenses we have, subscriptions and things like that. And just being able to know that, they're still coming out of your bank account and you can stop them and then you're saving money. Something like that can actually be quite empowering because then the person's like, well, I've actually done something. I've saved myself some money. 
I've looked at my bank account, which even that is a, is a big step for a lot of people. So it's just those little things that we can do to slowly build those skills, but also feel empowered at the same time. It's sometimes we're too scared, aren't we, to look at the bank account and actually we, we can be surprised that maybe, you know, we're better than we think. Or like you say, the subs- I think the subscription thing is a big thing for an ADHD brain because they it takes effort and it takes time to go and, and they don't make it easy for you to cancel a subscription. You know, that's like one of the, the, the loopholes and you have to go through different websites and you've got to check different boxes. So we have to also give ourselves a bit of compassion that this neurotypical world isn't um, made up for for people who struggle with those kind of tasks and and shifting tasks Mm -hmm. and the detail as well that's involved. So how do you help people? Again, we're going to go back to this ADHD brain of the spending habits, the overspending, the impulsive spending, when it's very hard for us to to override like how do you override the ADHD brain when it shopping and compulsion has been there for a long time yeah and it is absolutely challenging but it's about being able to slow down our brain before we go into that you know Ferrari brain like they like some people like to say before we um you know just go spend, spend, spend just because we see there's a sale or something like that. So it is about having to slow down our brain and we can do that in a few ways. So my favourite way is the time rule and I've heard this helps a lot of people. It's helped me always, even to this day, and it's my go-to with any ADHD brain. And that's putting a time rule on any purchases um, that you want. Obviously, things may not come into the time rule, like if you desperately need some groceries or something, that's not what I'm talking about. But if there's something that you want that, you know, maybe you can or cannot afford um, either way, you put a time rule on it. And this time rule can be 24 hours, three days, five days, whatever you want to make it. But you tell yourself that you are going to wait 24 hours, three days, whatever your time rule is. And then if you want that certain product or item, after that time, if you still want it, then maybe you can go purchase it. Often we've forgotten about that thing, you know, after three days or something, because if it is something really, really impulsive, we're going to forget about it anyway. So you've saved yourself some money there. Um, And then, you know, often you might think of it down the track and, you know, and it's really, this is a personal thing. So, you know, after um, whatever time rule it is, if you still want it, then maybe you take the steps to see if you can afford it or if you do actually want it. That's a really, really big one that does help a lot of people. Um, the other one can be accountability works for some people. So they can enlist the help of a partner or um, a family member or a friend or something and just let them know that there's something that they're wanting that they don't know if they should purchase and then they can talk it through with that with that support person. Again, with ADHD brains, often we do really well with externalizing these things, these problems that we have, or, um, you know, something that we need a solution to. So even sometimes once you've spoken about it to this support person, often, again, you'll just be like, well, why am I even wanting this? Or the support person will be able to talk you through it. Like, do you really need this? Can you afford it? And so on. And that can be really, really effective as well. The accountability really helps an ADHD brain. 
Yeah, I absolutely really like that because you, you're so right, the externalising, isn't it? Sometimes we just need to get it out of our heads, bounce an idea off someone, and then we can you know really make a decision that's not based on impulsivity. Let's go back to that kind of like example of, of you know, an entrepreneur that's coming, that's come to you and has, there's the passion is there and they really want to make this work, but they need to get past these, these money mindset beliefs. How do we go from old family conditioning, perhaps typical money doesn't grow in trees or get a job at an early age, otherwise you can't afford to, to buy anything for yourself, like there's so many different things that we can hear our parents saying in our ear. And then very often when we become parents, the same words come out. But if we're very, if we want to be aware, we want to break generational cycles, especially if you've grown up in maybe, I don't know, you know, not being able to afford much, but you are wanting to be able to bring more abundance into your life. How do we break these family cycles and move out of that old conditioning? Yeah. So there's a few things to unpack here. So we, everybody has a money story and it's exactly what you just described there. It's things that come from past generations. Often our parents, we hear our parents say things, how we grew up around money as well, whether we grew up with money or without money, things that we'd hear our parents say, not necessarily directly to us, perhaps um, to each other. And all that determines our money story and what we take into adulthood. And the way we need to break that is for us to create our new beliefs. So when I do work around mindset with money, we need to break those old beliefs that we have, the beliefs that come from that money story. And we can absolutely do that because we can change those neural pathways in our brain to create a new money story and new beliefs. So we need to work out what beliefs are actually from other people like our parents and what are our beliefs. Often if we create a new belief, sometimes I can feel really uncomfortable because it's not what we're used to. So if somebody wants to create a new belief around abundance, they might feel guilty or they might feel shame because that's not how they grew up and, you know, why should we have abundance if our parents didn't and all that kind of stuff. So We need to understand what beliefs are ours and what beliefs are other people's. And if they're other people's, we just need to take the steps to work through those and replace them with the beliefs that we want to have. Even when it comes to imposter syndrome and things like that, we've told ourselves negative things or even, you know, generational beliefs over and over and over. That's why we believe them. So when it comes to creating new beliefs and abundance, it's just a matter of saying something new over and over and over until it becomes a new belief, until you can say it and it no longer feels uncomfortable. And exactly right that, you know, that abundance of finding that, you know, small coin, it's just an energy thing that you're putting out to the universe that even something so small can mean abundance to you. It can mean something so special Whereas if it's, you know, you find that small coin, you're like, oh, whatever, that's just putting out small and negative energy. And a lot of people do believe that, you know, when you do put out that abundance energy, you're going to get that back because the universe is going to give that back to you. And that's something that I've been learning about recently. I've been right into that. That's been one of my hyper focuses lately about energy and universe and 
yeah, I wholeheartedly believe that the universe will also help you when it comes to new beliefs and abundance and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Would you say that mindset is probably the overriding thing that we need to work on with regards to money and then everything else follows? Yeah, it does play a really, really big part. As we've been talking about the money story and beliefs, it all plays into the mindset as well. You know, it's what we take into adulthood. So 100%, you know, people skip past mindset thinking it's just like woo-woo, but it really isn't. Being able to work on your mindset and having a strong money mindset can really help set you up for financial well-being because when you have the strong money mindset, that's when you start thinking about money differently as well. So don't skip over that that money mindset because you think that it's not going to help because it absolutely will. It absolutely will. So let's just talk a little bit about debt because that is a massive thing for people. It's a huge fear story. It's terrifying and it can weigh you down in such a way that maybe some people just can never move away from, from that. Yeah. How do people where debt has just been their life story, where they have lived you know, in a family where just debt's always there. Yeah. How do they move out of that that framework and start believing more in, in, in abundance? Yeah, debt can be uh, really tricky because you're right, if it's, if it's been part of their money story and the way they grew up, it can be really, really hard to shift that mindset into, uh, you know, not having debt and all that kind of stuff. But I don't tend to view debt as you know the devil if you would like I know a lot of people are so against debt I am depending on what kind of debt it is I do believe there is good debt and there's you know not so good debt obviously all the consumer debt um, you probably do want to avoid but getting a mortgage and you know educational kind of stuff obviously that's a little bit better investing all that kind of stuff so trying to move out of debt, if somebody is having issues with that, you know, that might be a case of where they need to get some professional help from a financial advisor or something like that um, to be able to put in practical steps to move out of that debt. But again, it's going to come down to just having those basic money and finance skills that you can put into place to not have to go down that road again and creating new beliefs around debt as well. Um, you know, creating that new belief that you don't have to actually go into debt to be able to get the things that you want. But absolutely, if somebody is having issues with that, I would recommend getting professional help there, especially if they if they are really, really struggling to put into place the practical things to um, pay off that debt. You know, at the beginning, you mentioned like apps. If I had to say to you, what apps would you recommend that we you know, as an ADHD woman, what would you say are the sort of your top two or three apps to to have to help either with finances, budgeting or accounting? So in regards to um, sort of more personal finances, there's an app called You Need a Budget, which is very, very popular with um, ADHDers. You know, the other one that I use, I know some people use it for personal stuff, but it's more sort of entrepreneur based and that's zero. So if somebody is an entrepreneur um, or, you know, a sole trader just going off onto their own little business, having something like zero behind them can really help as well because that will help 
organize their business finances. And there's lots of good stuff that comes with that as well. Um, not only can you sort of manage your business money, but you can, there's things in there that will help you with your cash flow and all that kind of stuff as well. So they are, um, they're the first things that come to mind when it comes to personal and business money. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. I really hope you are enjoying today's episode and I wanted to let you know about all the resources and the library of content that I'm building for you on my website. I know so many of you who are waiting for a diagnosis or perhaps have had a diagnosis and then have just been offered the only option of medication. So my library of resources is really open for anyone that wants to learn more about how to help themselves and empower themselves with regards to their ADHD. As you probably have heard me talking about, I have my ADHD hormone series where I am speaking to lots of different experts and specialists about how our hormones have impacted us throughout our lives and the connection between ADHD. We're talking about migraines, about gut, about PCOS, endometriosis. We're talking about PMDD, postnatal depression, and the impact of ADHD on pregnancy. There are so many different areas and complexities that our ADHD shows up as women. And I want to give you that validation, but also give you lots of tools at your disposal, lifestyle tools, nutritional tools, being able to get genetic testings, really understanding your hormones, and also, of course, perimenopause and menopause and how that shows up. I'm speaking to lots of different doctors, nutritional therapists, real experts and scientists in their field. That is part of my resources, but I also have lots of free resources as well with regards to burnout, managing our energy, using EFT tapping, and just general well-being. So I really want you to be able to tap into these different resources, whether it's paid for, it's the free ones. Um, I've got your tapping into your gold workshop, which is a very empowering workshop, helping you thrive alongside your ADHD with regards to your career and leaning into your authenticity and really being open to what it is that you want out of life. Now you understand your ADHD, your brain, your energy, and and I guess what your desires are now that you have more of an awareness around the way your brain works. So please head to my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. Choose the resources that work for you. Start slow. Start with one workshop, with one resource. Try not to get overwhelmed. But I do urge you to look at the ADHD and hormones workshops because it's so groundbreaking and we're giving you the most up-to-date information and I am updating this with new specialists and experts as we speak. So I've just updated it and from September onwards, we are going to be increasing the price due to the increase in resources. So if you are interested, I would urge you to, to look at it right now at the launch price. And now here's my conversation with Maddie Alexander. So with regards to you sort of understanding yourself with ADHD, when did you start realising that you did have a spending addiction and how did that manifest for you? So I didn't realise I had a spending addiction until I got diagnosed with ADHD, but it explains my entire backstory. When I went to university, I got, got myself into a real pickle, really horrible amount of debt. On day one of Freshers' Week, I walked into the hall where they do all the Freshers' Fair stuff, and I signed up for four different credit cards. Didn't really know anything about money. My money education when I was younger wasn't wasn't particularly good. Like my mum, my mum always said to me, "Don't spend money unless you've got it." 
but she didn't explain to me really about credit cards. You know, they weren't really a massive thing when I was younger. This was 20 years ago. It felt like free money and I would just go and spend and spend and spend. I didn't know it was a spending addiction. I just thought I was being a normal teenager. I liked clothes and shoes and going out and drinking loads and partying until 4am and I didn't realise that 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 was me craving dopamine. So I was getting the dopamine from shopping, I was getting it from eating bad food, I was getting it from drinking, I was getting it from socialising. And I went out every single night for about three years, which probably pickled my liver. But at the same time, I if I stayed in, I didn't get that dopamine hit. So it was all about going out and dancing and getting that music and buying new clothes to go out. And the dopamine that I was craving got me into £40,000 worth of debt, which is a lot of money. And when you start getting bailiffs knocking at your door and you start getting people, debt collectors, you know, coming and sending you threatening letters, I moved. I moved house to try and get away from my problems. And I didn't really realise this, but they follow you. <laughs> so brushing things under the carpet doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. um, and I became incredibly depressed. I really, really had got myself into such a mess. So... One day I decided, I'd actually broken up with a boyfriend and I decided that I needed to come home and see my mum and I hadn't told my mum any of this and she was so disappointed in me and she was like, you need to pay it back, you need to go to citizen's advice, you need to go and start making amends for what you've done and I was so ashamed, I felt awful and one of the things that that people who have spending addictions need not to feel is ashamed because if I'd have known why I did that earlier it would have made so much more sense and I don't think I would have felt the shame and the guilt that I that I felt but when I went to citizens advice they were like right well this is this is a debt plan this is how you need to budget this is how you pay your debts off and we worked out that it was going to take me 60 years to pay off all of my debts I wasn't happy with that <laughs> at all so I basically started my own method. Now, it's in the money-saving world, there is a method called the 50-30-20 rule, where you spend 50% of your monthly income on your essentials, so like your, your, your mortgage, your rent, the essential bills. Then you spend 30% on your everyday living, so like food and your wants and your, your needs. And then 20% goes to paying off your debts. So I decided that I wanted to kind of mix this rule up a bit. So I did the 50-40-10 rule. So I spent 40% of my monthly outgoing, my monthly incomings on paying off my debts. So I managed to pay them off in a, quite a, a short period of time, six years. But I found a new addiction. And this addiction actually helped me, which is a weird way of saying it. But I swapped my addiction for going out, spending money on expensive clothes and shoes. I swapped it for charity shop shopping and yellow sticker shopping, which made me a really, really good ground for being a money specialist. And the more money I saved, the more I paid off my debts, the more dopamine I got. 
So actually, when I was when I was shopping for yellow stickers and charity shop things, I was getting the need that I had to constantly get that dopamine fixed at a much, much, much lower price. And that led to me setting up my VIP rewards, which is a, a money-saving website that helps people to save on their everyday living expenses. Now, I set that up because I love a discount. And now I don't buy anything unless there is a discount attached to it. That money saving, and for me to be able to go and talk on my TikTok about my money saving, is the thing that keeps me going. So I absolutely love finding a discount, and I wanted to share that with everybody. Um, and I think that actually my VOP rewards is something that a lot of ADHD people need in their life. Because if you do have problems spending, which most of us do, it's that Amazon thing where you're like, click, 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 Amazon. Oh, yeah, so easy to order. Um, we can help people to save money on that with gift vouchers for Amazon. We can help people to save money on their supermarket shopping and all of those kind of things. So it, it really, really does help. But I do spend an awful lot of my time talking on my TikTok about how ADHD affects me and my buying habits mm. because... I'm absolutely awful for getting an email through from somebody and being like, oh, that looks good. I'll buy that. I'm a salesperson's dream. Um, and I'm going to be really open and honest now. So my VIP rewards has just um, been bought out by a group. Um, really sadly, I had to liquidate our original um, our original business. And this is the first time I'm talking about this openly. So you have the exclusive. <laughs> um but basically, we had really, really bad cash flow problems. And one of those cash flow problems I would attribute to my ADHD because I am an absolute sucker for anybody trying to sell me something. Uh, there are so many courses out there that I have bought and then just not done because they sounded great, but then I don't have the capability or the brain power to actually go and sit down and do a course. So I would say that I probably spent way too much money on things that I didn't need and just things that I thought would make the business look shiny. And really sadly, that was to the detriment of my VIP Card Limited, our, our first limited company. I was very, very lucky that my new boss, um, Alex, found me, offered me a job, saw my potential in marketing and then also said, my VIP rewards has actually got so much potential. It's really sad that you're liquidating it. Can I buy the assets and can we start again? So that's basically what we're doing. Um, but ADHD has been a big part of, of that process because I don't think that I would have been... It's weird because it, on one hand, I'm a, I'm a money specialist. But on the other hand, I am also a money spender. And that can be quite hard sometimes. I mean, what, thank you so much, firstly, for, for sharing your story and for being so honest, because I know that, um, I mean, like, there was so many parts of your story that I was resonating with, and I'm sure many people listening were. Um, I think what you, you describe is very common because we are always looking for dopamine. We're always seeking dopamine. We are deficient. And so our addictions can come in all shapes and sizes, you know, whether it's shopping, it's porn, it's drugs it's alcohol it's eating it's anything that can just you know fill that dopamine up for us and so 
it's the recognition that actually money and ADHD can be really tricky from all from so many different angles. You know, I 100% relate to having dyscalculia. I haven't been diagnosed officially, but I think if I if I was, that would probably be really validating for me. I don't think I have dyslexia, but for me, dyscalculia and money and figures and numbers and Excel spreadsheets, I talk about this a lot in the podcast, has been a massive challenge for me. So what now that you have now that you have this awareness now that you are you've gone through this i guess it was probably quite a difficult process with your business to be able to recognize that you are um, on one hand this money saving um, specialist you understand how to find bargains and discounts and, and recognize that you can get that same dopamine hit by buying discounted and charity shop goods but also on the other hand our ADHD brains aren't going anywhere and we're still going to be living with this kind of contradiction and knowing that the dopamine is always going to be there, that we're always going to be seeking it. How are you managing that now in your life? I think honesty, um, honesty is the best policy and I am showing up all the time talking about ADHD, talking about it on LinkedIn, talking about it on TikTok, talking about it with my friends and trying to manage people's expectations. So when my new boss offered me the job, I said to him, Alex, I've got ADHD. And he said, no shit. <laughs> Excuse my French. Uh, but he, he's been very, very understanding about what I need. Um, and we've had really long, in-depth talks about what my strengths are and where I should be playing. So we both know that I'm terrible at admin. I'm terrible at figures. I really, really should not have been a business owner who is in charge of money. I am absolutely brilliant at marketing and social media and personal branding and the things that, you know, also having a big head as well. Um, but, you know, the, those things are the things where I excel so we know the areas that need plugging within his business to give me that support, but also to make it really successful. So I'm just being very, very aware and constantly learning. I'm learning new things. And like, for example, the other day, I suffer really badly with um, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And on my second day of, of the new job, I designed a logo. Now, bear in mind, I'm not a logo designer. I'm not a graphic designer in any way, but I was just kind of trying to help out the process. And Alex said to me that it wasn't my best work. And that hit me really hard. I was like, I'm in a new job. This is really horrible. It's not my best work. And actually, he's gone and got someone else to do it better. And if I hadn't known that I had ADHD, that would have probably made me go, oh, I don't like this job. I'm going to quit. Uh, whereas instead, I thought about it and I thought, Maddie, you're not a graphic designer. Of course, a graphic designer is going to do it better than you. It was still your idea to do it in the first place. It's not a criticism. Don't take it as one. But I had the conversation with Alex and I said to him, that's how I felt for a little bit. And he was really understanding and really supportive. And I think just being open and honest with people around you about what you're experiencing really does help you to manage it better and always always learning just being on that train where you just need to find out more about your brain because there is and it it's really helped me to understand what's gone on um in the past with with friendships with money with relationships that I've had with boyfriends you know I've had boyfriends who I've suffocated completely 
just by hyper focusing on them and them being the only thing in my life and that's terrifying for somebody um and i've also had friendships where i've done exactly the same so you've just got to be aware being aware is the thing that i think helps you with it yeah one of the things that i talk about a lot is the sort of things that you could do to help your adhd when it comes to money um you know i can give you a couple of tips yeah, now actually, be, be nice for be nice for that so Avoid cl- things like Klarna and pay now, you know, buy now, pay later, because they are literally the worst nightmare for people with ADHD. You'll probably forget to pay and you'll end up in trouble. So just don't do that. Try and avoid credit cards at all costs if you can. Make sure that with sales emails, I wouldn't say don't get them because I know that a lot of people with ADHD do enjoy looking for bargains, but have them go into a separate folder so that you don't have to look at them when they come in. So it's not that impulse, like buy this now, this is a really great offer. You can just go and check when you want to look through um, and, and find offers. Unlink your cards from Amazon. It is, and unlink your cards from Deliveroo, unlink them from everywhere. Because if you physically have to put your number in, it is gonna take more effort to get, and then that's a bit of a barrier between you and your spending. Um, and also as well, I would I would just say, you know, keep an ear out for people like me there are other people who talk about money um, and it it can be really helpful just knowing that you're not on your own with these things and find cheaper things to spend your money on don't do those hobbies the hobbies are the worst things (laughs) because the amount of money that my different various hobbies have cost me over the years is insane I thought that I wanted to be a sewer I wanted to do um sea glass collection I mean like I've my hobbies change all the time. It's crazy. Well, but just I mean, being with, aware of with that. that, with the hobby, so that kind of like conflicts with like my my bit of my well being side because I always say lean into what brings you joy, lean into what yeah, that is true fills you up and gives you that creative spark. But I agree with you because I have been on the receiving end of the hobby fixation and the hyper focus and spent a lot of money and then just kind of dumped everything back into a charity shop because the thought of selling it all on eBay and everything was just far too much. And so I I wonder how do okay, give me give it can you give us some examples of ways we can choose a hobby or a hyper focus that feeds our creative desire but doesn't bankrupt us at the same time. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I th- I think researching, doing a bit of research and maybe having a budget allowance for the thing that you that you want to do so this is the thing for me so me channeling so my new addiction my new hobby is helping people to save money so that's that's where I channel my you know if if I want to buy something I'll go and do a TikTok if I want to um you know if I if I see something that's that's slipping in me I just think, right, that this is something that I need to share with the world. And this is how I think my journey is going to progress. So I'm in the middle of writing a book, um, which is all about my ADHD money story. I'm also thinking, so I've had a podcast myself for a while, Mad About Money, where I interview people about their money stories. And I've decided to kind of change that up a little bit and actually have it where I just talk to people with ADHD about their money stories. 
because I think there's a massive niche out there. Definitely. So that's that's something that, that I, I think, you know, that will be a hyper-focus of mine, but I think it'll be a hyper-focus for good and it will help people. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration, and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.